0: Impeachment is a political process, it's not a fair trial, it's not a solemn duty, it's by design a song and dance, a razzle-dazzle show to make sure the nation is on your side when you, the representative of your country, make a decision. It's why each side plays their part so predictably. Either righteous guardians of accountability or hardline defenders of the will of the people. Donald Trump faces a great test to his presidency in the next few weeks. He will likely see something no president since Andrew Johnson has seen. Indeed, since 1868, no president has seen an impeachment resolution in his first term. It's unprecedented. In our modern political world, even as we've seen two impeachment pushes since. But hell, it's 2019, baby. We're in a hashtag disrupt obsessed culture anyway. Why not? We will take a look at the latest in front of Nancy Pelosi, including a new formalizing resolution and the latest hearings behind closed doors but you would have to wonder, for Nance, how much of the lessons of Newt Gingrich run through her head. Back in 1994, Newt was bay to Republicans long starved for conservative action in the House, and yet his impeachment push cost him his congressional career before it even reached a conclusion. We'll look back to those six wild weeks in 1998, as the Republicans pushed their impeachment debate in the House. Now, Trump is famous for rewarding loyalty. He loves people, specifically people on television, who are sticking up for him. Well, I got a guess on who he wishes he might have had on his team right now. Somebody as articulate and forceful as 1998 edition Joe Biden. And the election of a president is the only nationwide vote the American people will ever cast. And that's a big deal. And we in Congress had better be very careful before we upset their decision and make darn sure that we are able to convince them if we decide to upset their decision, that our decision to impeach him was based upon principle and not politics. But these days, Biden might be wondering if he can make it to a general election showdown with Trump Thanks to a rapidly eroding nomination strategy, we're going to get into exactly how dire it is for old Uncle Joe. Folks, folks, not a joke. Thanks to everyone who supports us at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. PX3 done now! Ha! Yes! Yes! Channel, 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 channel! Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Politics, Politics, Politics program. My name is Justin Robert Young, and I would like to welcome you to yet another edition of the show. As we mentioned up top, we have looks back into the past on impeachment, looks into the present on impeachment, and a look at Joe Biden's electoral folly in the making. But before we go into it, there's a few quick hits that I do want to touch on really quick because they are breaking Currently, number one, according to Politico, Kamala Harris is slashing her staff and restructuring her campaign. She is obviously hemorrhaging cash. She is now polling around where Andrew Yang is a reminder that Kamala Harris is a sitting senator in the United States of America, representing the very rich and populous state of California. And Andrew Yang, oh him, he's just the guy at least in terms of the Democratic establishment. All of this is being done so she can afford to spend seven figures in Iowa coming up. She is going to go all in on Iowa, which means that you got to watch her poll numbers there. They have not been great as of yet. Apparently, her campaign manager is also reducing his monthly fee. Uh, he was getting $10,000 a month in the third quarter, he will reduce that. If Juan Rodriguez is indeed the man who suggested that Kamala Harris use her last campaign restructuring as an opportunity for her to start yelling at Twitter to delete Donald Trump's account, then it is my opinion that he should reduce his salary to zero. That's stupid. Stupid then, it's even stupider now that nothing's happened after she said it. One more note about the 2020 field. Tom Perez of the DNC has unveiled new debate thresholds for the December debate. This means that unlike all the previous debates, which had a single threshold that would go for two debates, July and August shared a threshold. The September-October debates shared a threshold. Now, we're going to have this one in November, so everybody who qualifies for the November one will be in, but then there's going to be another more punitive threshold for December. Why would you break that cadence? Because, for whatever reason... Tom Perez has made his number one priority for the Democratic primary to eliminate people from the stage immediately. So, for example, here are the candidates that are on the outside looking in for the next debate we're going to watch in November. Tulsi Gabbard hasn't qualified, Beto O'Rourke hasn't qualified, and Julian Castro has not qualified. All three of them have yet to receive. In four qualifying polls, three percent. All right. They have not done that yet. Gabbard's the closest at three. O'Rourke has two. Castro has zero. Castro looks like he's toast. I don't even know if there's going to be three qualifying polls released between now and when he can qualify, which is on November 13th. Gabbard might make it because, well, she was touched by the star maker. You can't help but have... Electoral success when Hillary Clinton mentions your name in anger. But even if they don't, this is the sixth debate that will be held on December 19th at UCLA in California. Right now, here are the people that are on the outside looking in. Kamala Harris, Andrew Yang, Amy Klobuchar, and everybody else I just mentioned. This is because there is now... 4% 4% re- uh, uh, support required in four different polls. I believe that Tom Perez is doing this because he wants to headshot candidates before Iowa. And I really don't understand why. Iowa is, by its own very nature, a strainer on the process. You will get campaigns ended In Iowa, because like we just mentioned with Kamala Harris, there's going to be a lot of people that will say, look, this is it. Either we get Iowa where upstarts can have a shot or we're toast. And I don't know why you would want to deny these campaigns that process. It's really unfair. Not to mention the fact that in my opinion, and I've said this before, I'll say it again and then we'll move on because I can go on about this all day. If you are the Democratic National Committee, your job is, or any national committee, your job is to make sure that candidates can get a fair shot, their supporters feel like they've gotten a fair shot, and then when their watch has ended, they can give a meaningful endorsement to a candidate that's still running. This makes sure that there is no energy lost in your process. We've already seen several candidates drop out and only a few of them have endorsed. So let's say that you successfully eliminate a candidate like Beto O'Rourke either by not appearing in the November debate or not appearing in the more stringent December debate. Do you feel that in the middle of the holiday season is a good time for him to give an endorsement to another candidate. Cause I don't, I think it's a bad time for him to do that. I would rather him go into Iowa lose. And then as you go in and we're going to go through this with, with Joe Biden, it's a real short porch between Iowa and New Hampshire, have him go out on the road in that very important week and stump for somebody. People will care about Beto for five seconds if it means that somebody else is going to get his support. I don't know why they're denying themselves this. All right. That's the breaking news. Let's get into impeachment. We are going to get to the House formalizing its impeachment inquiry, but definitely not authorizing impeachment in a second. But first, I want to get to a meta-narrative that I've been trying to hammer at both on this podcast and in the newsletter for a little bit. If these are the facts of on the ground, if we know everything that we are going to know about Ukraine right now, and everything else that the Democrats can provide are effectively other people in various positions of power saying what we know is real, I think the Republicans circle the wagons and that's that. The House can decide whether or not they want to hang the scarlet letter on Trump, but he's not going to get removed. The one thing that I've always said can be a much bigger issue for Donald Trump is the fact that there could be proven a cover-up. I've long said that the reason why the whistleblower coming forward is because if Donald Trump's transcript that he put out of his call with Ukrainian President Zelensky if that is proved to be altered in a materially significant way, now all of a sudden, not only do you have a proven cover-up, you also have a license to look into any and all other private calls that were made with heads of state. That opens up the Ghostbusters vault. And we got our first hint that there might be something there last night. That is because... Uh, The National Security Council's top Ukraine expert testified Tuesday. His name is Vindman, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. And he said that the transcript, quote, omitted crucial words and phrases, according to the New York Times. Specifically, Vindman said he was unable to correct the memorandum for leaving out, quote, Trump's assertion that there were recordings of Vice President Joseph R. Biden Jr. discussing Ukraine corruption, end quote, and, quote, an explicit mention by Ukraine's president of Burisma Holdings, the energy company whose board employed Mr. Biden's son Hunter, end quote. Now, this is being pushed back on by a, a Republican Representative, who was there at the Vinman testimony, he says that indeed there were allegations that the the ellipses in the official transcript were filled in by Vinman, but says that to his judgment, they are not materially affecting of the record itself. And I have to say that if it's just Trump saying that there might be recordings and you should find them. And it's Zelensky saying, yes, the corruption, the 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 Biden related corruption that you are referring to is indeed Barisma holdings. I don't know if anybody was confused that he would know that. Then I, I would I would tend to agree. But still, it is very, very significant that this line has been opened up because I thought we were past it. As soon as the whistleblower didn't testify or the other whistleblower, as soon as either we were whistleblowerless, I simply assumed that we were no longer going to be dealing with those specific charges. But to me, they are the most damaging. Again, you tend to get people on the cover up and not the crime. If this is the cover up that can be proved, it is indeed significant. Also significant is the fact that the Democrats are going to vote tomorrow on impeachment preceding resolution. All right, that is not, not, in case you were confused, an authorization for impeachment. This is not the beginning of the formal impeachment process. No, it is a formalization of why and how They are going to continue to hold hearings. Now, the good news is, and I railed on the Democrats last week for this, they are going to move these hearings, at least some of them, out into the public eye. I am very much a hardliner on the idea that these things should be public. You should do as few in private as you possibly can. We are talking about removing a president. This cannot be something that you gift-wrapped through leak sources into the media. This has to be something where America can see and judge with their own eyes. And if you don't think you got the sauce for that, then maybe you should rethink doing it. I'm not saying that, that the Democrats don't have faith in this. I'm just saying you're opening yourself up to that kind of criticism. Well, now it looks like we will get public hearings. Why is it important to the Democrats That you and the world knows that this is not the formal beginning of the impeachment process. Because the Democrats want as much knowledge out there as possible before they take that step. The Republicans would love for him to do it today, tomorrow, five minutes ago. Because they want every House Democrat on the record for what they are going to do, specifically the ones that have won in Republican districts. Those representatives on the Democratic side desperately want to have one of these votes because they want to be able to say to their constituents, hey, look, we're playing by the rules here. But meanwhile, the Democrats that are not from Republican districts don't want anything that the Republicans want. They're like, whatever, we're going to do whatever we want. You can run into our secure location. You can make a gigantic mess of things. We don't care. Because guess what? We're going to run this at our pace. And our general strategy is anything that you want, we want to immediately deny you. And so what we get is this kind of bastardization of the process we we get a formalization of how they're going to be doing things which does give the republicans the one key thing that they wanted which is to bring it out from private and make it public now they also want to be able to effectively cross-examine some of these people that are out here talking but we'll see. I still think it was a mistake. I still think it was a mistake by shift to not make some of these things as public as possible immediately, because now the Republicans know how they want to attack. This horse could have been out of the barn. All right. We will see how it goes. I got one more thing. One more little ax. I want to grind here. Listening to another podcast, political podcast, I won't tell you the name of it, but if I were to rate how annoyed I was with it, I would put it anywhere between a, a, a 536 and a 539. They had this debate, and I think, look, I love that podcast. I love the 538 podcast. They had this debate about how you would handle things if you were the Republicans. Pol- Republican strategy debate and three out of the four possible scenarios that they laid out were all about how president Trump would be abandoned by the Republican party. It's four people there. Three out of the four were had the Republican party. The stated preference was please debate ways that you, that the Republican party can abandon their very popular president which is insane to me. I felt like I was taking crazy bills. I know that they were arguing just positions, but the fact that that uh, only one person had a position of circle the wagons, ride it out. Functionally, this feels a lot more like Iran Contra than it does Watergate in terms of the optics of what was happening. If it was an attempted quid pro quo, It doesn't seem like anybody really got anything out of it. There was no investigation and Ukraine got their money. So like, I, 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 the fact that nobody even argued the, it wasn't me. Circle the wagons. We're going to move on, on to 2020 was crazy. I still think that is by far. Far the most likely scenario, especially when the other three involve this fantasy world where you can just put Donald Trump into the phantom zone and he doesn't really affect things going forward. Not to mention, like, deposing a president, having a their own party, no matter how much these Republican senators hate Trump, having their your own party remove your popular within your party president is effectively party suicide for eight years. If your your party is not out of power for eight years, then it is a total stroke of luck by you. I just quite simply don't get the logic. I don't. I don't. All right. That's it with impeachment. I'd like to talk now about Joe Biden. All right, let's talk realistically about Joe Biden. Joe Biden tends to be a fractious topic on the Internet. You're on social media. There are a lot of candidates that have a lot more support in social media than Joe Biden. And yet Joe Biden sits there with his finger aloft saying scoreboard through his blinding white veneers. Because, yes, indeed, friends, Joe Biden is still 6% ahead of any of his rivals in the real clear politics average. I know that we talked about how Elizabeth Warren very briefly was the new real clear politics champion. But old Joe has rebounded 6% ahead of anyone else. So, folks, let me ask you, folks, folks. What's the big deal? Why does the New York Magazine have a cover story calling Biden a zombie campaign? Folks, can you answer me that? Folks. Why is the New York Times reporting that various different donors and establishment interests are looking for uh, Sherrod Brown to get in? Hillary Clinton? To get in the race. Why would they need to get into a, uh, get in the race when you have the establishment guy, the literal legacy of the Obama White House, Joe Biden, folks, no joke, folks, people are saying this. 6% lead, and it's early. What's the problem? Oh, early states, early states. The Joe Biden folks will tell you, folks, folks, no joke, folks, they'll tell you doesn't matter about the early states. come on. the real the real issue that you got to pay attention to is Joe Biden's numbers in South Carolina and how well he does on Super Tuesday. Everything else oh everything else just noise. and besides we're probably gonna do better than the numbers in the early states anyway. Well do me a favor folks and let's look at those early states. Here's why you should be worried about Joe Biden. Let's take a look at Iowa, the Iowa caucus. Elizabeth Warren, according to that Real Clear Politics average, is up 5%. But what's more, the last Iowa State poll that just came out this week has Biden at not first, not second, not third, but fourth behind Warren, Buttigieg, and Sanders. And that would be a step up. From the last time he competed in an Iowa caucus, and he came in fifth, to Obama, Clinton, Edwards, and two percentage points behind Bill Richardson. To steal a phrase from my other show, Night Attack, he quit the next day. Literally. Biden left the race after he lost that embarrassingly in Iowa. That's how much damage a result like that can have on a campaign. Now, Iowa is February 3rd. Eight days later, we have the New Hampshire primary on February 11th. So let me ask you, the PX3 faithful, the smartest political podcast listeners on the planet, do you think that Joe Biden disappointing in Iowa will be a talking point between those two election days? Do you now? Do you think that the media will shower praise on the candidate that places ahead of him during that week? So let's assume charitably that he does not come in first in Iowa. Let's say he's somewhere second or third, but it's not a total embarrassment. He's still going to get disproportionately trashed. That means he has to rely heavily on New Hampshire. So let's go ahead and take a look at where he is right now. Currently, he is down 4% in the Real Clear Politics average and only one point ahead of Bernie, who, according to a new CNN University of New Hampshire poll, is leading the race. It is now that I point out this troubling statistic for Joe Biden. And any time that you read anything from the Biden camp that says don't worry about Iowa, don't worry about New Hampshire, what you should worry about is this one troubling fact. Since 1976, only one Democratic nominee didn't win Iowa or New Hampshire. Now, that candidate was Bill Clinton. But if you want to assume that Joe Biden is Bill Clinton, well, I got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. Because if Joe Biden was Bill Clinton, he would have been Bill Clinton a lot earlier than old-ass Joe Biden right now. Let's go back to our scenario. Joe Biden has lost Iowa. He has lost New Hampshire. Two in a row. Two L's. Hanging on Joe Biden's mantelpiece. The next vote, the next caucus, is February 22nd. That's 11 days for the media to fetishize over the disappointment of Joe Biden. 11 days for the campaign to get desperate and possibly do something stupid. But I got some good news for you, Joe. Folks, folks, no joke. Folks, I got some good news for you. Currently, by the real clear politics average, Joe Biden is leading in Nevada. That's the next caucus. That silver state could be the elusive dub for Joe Biden. The caucus vote in Nevada primarily revolves around Las Vegas, and Las Vegas is a uniquely union town, the likes of which can't really be replicated in the West. Like, whoever, if the union says you should vote for a certain person, they are going to vote for him. We did a whole thing on the Culinary Workers Union a few episodes ago. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. Long story short, they love Bernie Sanders. And they really wanted to endorse Bernie Sanders in 2016 before some powerful establishment interests convinced them to not endorse anyone. I'd be surprised if that happens this time because I don't think anybody in this race has the kind of establishment support to pull off such a move. There ain't no Clintons here. So if that's the case, and Bernie Sanders does get that endorsement, and he does always do well in caucuses better than primaries, well, then do count on a win in Nevada after Iowa and after New Hampshire nearly a month of unbroken, bad press, and increased competition seems like a bit of a stretch. It does. It seems like a stretch to me. Which brings us to that famed Biden firewall of South Carolina. It's at the end of the month, February 28th. This all begins on February 3rd, and now we're at February 28th when South Carolina votes. Biden leads that real clear politics average by 20. So, yeah. Biden will probably win that. If, of course, he can survive until then. Ha 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 Come on, guys. We had to get some Halloween into this show. You know, it's a big holiday. Happy Halloween to everybody. One of my favorite holidays. Uh, uh, So for everybody, I know it's it's my wife's favorite holiday. She loves it, loves dressing up, loves getting into costumes. So uh, a big happy Halloween to everybody who is listening to the PX3 show. Enjoy yourself. And when you enjoy yourself, you might enjoy yourself just a little bit more if you are a patron at takepoliticsseriously.com. You guys have brought it strong for months and I wanna thank each and every one of you for doing it. Uh, uh, The $3 club never been uh, stronger than it it is right now. You guys uh, are just over the moon and we should be about a week away from having some really cool announcements for you, including a few perks that I think you guys are really going to like. If you want to be a part of it, head on over. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Also, you want to get on our newsletter, Free Political Newsletter at FreePoliticalNewsletter.com. Five stories a day, five days a week, mostly gifts. Sometimes a little bit of commentary from your boy, Justin Robert Young. It's free. It's political. It's a newsletter. Get on over there right now. Freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Also, one last housekeeping thing. Thank you to everybody who came out to our meetup at the Whiskey Kitchen in Nashville, Tennessee last saturday me and andrew heaton had an absolute blast meeting all you guys uh, you wound up getting some uh, uh some bonus little uh, uh, celebrity flybys in the uh in, in, in the political world we had uh, ben kissel from last podcast on the left show up we had jd durkin from cheddar show up a bunch of fun people and i was very very thrilled to have them uh, uh around and to meet everybody so thank you guys again one more time for uh, showing out at politica politics it's october 5th 1998 and the number one movie in the country stars Woody Allen and Sylvester Stallone. Has the best assignment of all. We're the first into battle. Hey, fellas, that's, you're being a little extreme, I feel. Why don't we, do we just try and influence their political process with campaign contributions? Come on! Let's get some termite ads! DreamWorks Animation and BDI present... Ants. On Capitol Hill, the Republican-led Judiciary Committee of the House of Representatives has successfully voted to begin an impeachment inquiry. Tonight's vote was 21 to 16, completely along party lines. The Republican-controlled committee rebuffed Democratic attempts to limit its time and scope, and the full House will now vote on the measure by week's end. With more on tonight's And indeed they do. It only takes three days coming out of the Judiciary Committee for the House to vote on it. They do so on October 8th. The final count is 258 for and 176 against. That means that 31 Democrats voted to begin the impeachment process against their own president. Here's how Bill Clinton handled the news. I am fine. I have have surrendered this. This is beyond my control. I have to work on what I can do. What I can do is to do my job for the American people. I trust the American people. They almost always get it right. That's pretty calm, right? You know, compared to how Trump handles it, he's hes not calling anybody human scum. He's not saying this is a witch hunt. He's playing a real cool cucumber on this. But I do want to explain something that even for me has gotten lost in how we remember that impeachment process. again, Keep an eye on these dates. This is in early October, and it stretches in to late October of 1998. That is a midterm election year. That's the midterm election year of Bill Clinton's second term. That means that this entire process is going to begin right before People go to the polls and vote. Now, granted, there was a very protracted uh, investigation. The Star Report comes out. So there is urgency. Remember, impeachment is a political process. You're going to need to have that kind of momentum. The momentum was there, but the person who had to flip the switch was Newt Gingrich. Newt Gingrich is a larger-than-life figure right now. This gets lost in history a little bit, but when Newt Gingrich authors the Contract with America in 1994, that is Bill Clinton's first midterm, he does what no Republican has done since 1955. That is in the middle of Dwight D. Eisenhower's first term. He becomes the Speaker of the House. That's how long... It had been since the Republicans controlled the House of Representatives. The mid-50s. It doesn't happen again until 94. And Newt Gingrich gets credit for that. What follows is a very elevated platform for Newt. Newt believes that he is one of the biggest men in Washington and he acts like it. This means that Obviously, he's got some swashbuckling in him. He wants to get into fights. He wants to reflect out to his base that he is somebody that you can trust. But it also makes him a lot of enemies. So here we go. His decision to push for impeachment has an immediate referendum with the American public. Remember when Bill Clinton says, I leave it up to America? He wasn't necessarily just saying, oh, I trust their elected representatives in Congress. That was him saying, if you don't like what's going on right now in Washington, you better go to the polls and vote out anyone with an R next to their name. Ever the constant, Newt Gingrich came in with a historic midterm and he goes out with a historic midterm. The Republicans historically Historically underperform on Election Day 1998. The Democrats gained five seats in the House, which is not enough for them to take it. But here's the stats on how rare it is. The last time that the president's party gained seats in the House during their second-term midterms was 1822! That's a long time. That's a very long time. And it's immediately seen by the Republican Party as a rebuke from America. On November 7th, Newt Gingrich, the architect of the Republican resolution in the House and impeachment, resigned. Having uh, led the party to three consecutive victories in terms of having a majority in the House, the only time in 70 years we've done that, I could hardly stand by and allow the party to cannibalize itself uh, in that situation. And I thought it was best for all of us. Uh, Marianne and I have lots of things. The man who got into power based on Republican anger against Bill Clinton cannot survive the Clinton presidency. And Dick Gebhardt, his counterpart in the House on the Democratic side, decides to spike the football. This is from a Baltimore Sun story by Jonathan Wiseman about Newt resigning. I hope whoever succeeds Newt Gingrich as Speaker will immediately begin the process of repairing the damage that was wrought on this institution over the last four years. It is critically important that the next Speaker has a stronger sense of respect for the institution of the House and the members of the other side of the aisle, end quote. Remarkably, some of the brashest conservative figures of Gingrich's self-described revolution in 1994 are eagerly now remaking themselves as consensus builders, we continue to read from Wiseman's story. Here's this fun little quote. Ronald Reagan did not scare people, and the guy was far more conservative than any Republican governor says florida republican representative joe scarborough pointing to the transformation of jeb bush as a model for washington republicans oh my god i mean come on how amazing is that quote on so many different levels Joe Scarborough, who is right now trying to rebrand himself not as a Gingrichite, but rather as a consensus builder, saying, you want to know who the kind of person we need to model ourselves after? Jeb! Exclamation point! So great. So great. On December 19th, the House votes to adopt the Articles of Impeachment and move... The process to the Senate. On this vote, the yeas are 228, the nays are 206. Article 1 is adapted. Now here's something else interesting that I found in reviewing all this sound this week. The One of the primary ways that the Democrats wanted to fight back against impeachment in the House was to push for a censure. This would be an official recommendation from the House, that the president did something wrong but would not, A, carry the stigma of an impeachment, and B, would just end the process right there. In fact, for those of you who are unaware, if you've ever heard of the nonprofit MoveOn.org, the moving on that they want you to do is from the Clinton impeachment. That This is the process in which that nonprofit is founded and popularized. It's interesting that we have not heard any kind of even mention of a censure through Mueller or the Ukraine. Nobody in the house is like, all right, you want to know what? Maybe he shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have been on the phone like that. We're going to censure him. Let's move on. Everything has been so zero sum that there is no element of an off-ramp given to any kind of Democrats from red districts in the House to say, "Ah, I'm here to be a a, a consensus builder. Obviously, I don't like this. Yeah, I'll censure. and, And that's it. And I suspect that there's just zero political will for it on either side. The Democrats don't want it because impeachment has been what they have said. They've already set the bar at impeachment, so they can't dial it back to censor or censure. If I'm going to say the word correctly. Anyhow, here is Judiciary Chairman Henry Hyde delivering the impeachment articles to the Senate. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, sir. As Secretary and on behalf of the Senate, I accept these into the official record of the Senate for deliberation later on. Thank you. And we thank you for your, your courtesy in coming over. I don't know. Thank you. Thank you. Very well. Thanks, question more increasingly certain now is when, not if, we will hear another handover like that one. By the way, January 6th, 1999, Newt is replaced by Dennis Hassert as Speaker of the House. He is the opposite of the larger-than-life Newt Gingrich. Uh, in fact, he winds up ceding attention to the GOP Majority Leader, Tom DeLay, who essentially becomes the figurehead of the Republican congressional effort. Newt Gingrich goes on to run several popular think tanks and become a fairly prolific author, writing a ton of nonfiction book and a few historical fiction books. I also heard off the record at Politicon that he's a tremendous zoo enthusiast. In 2012... He runs for president and loses in the Republican primary to Mitt Romney. So what lessons are there to learn between the process that happened back then and the process now? I really only have one gigantic meta takeaway. There's a million little procedural things. And oh, my God, was it such a pain in the butt to get sound for this because Every outlet and their mom has put together the what they said then, what they said now compilations, being shocked and appalled that indeed politicians would rally around their own flag instead of holding to one central reasoning. Please, if you want to clutch your pearls about that, please do it elsewhere for those of us who have asthma and might inhale the particles. But it was very interesting that Newt Gingrich was looked at as an absolute brute of a Speaker of the House, bringing divisiveness untold to the chamber. And it kind of seemed a little tame. 31 Democrats voting to go ahead with the inquiry. The fact that the Democrats were offering to censure their own president. Offer to censure their own president? Like... That's totally fan fiction now. You know, something out of one of Newt's books. I'm not trying to assign any undue nobility to a bygone age. I think these things tend to compound and the lessons that were learned then wind up infecting how we move about things now. Nobody wants to leave a flank unguarded for fear that they will be exploited, embarrassed, and run out of power. But it is an interesting spin through history. And for the record, Ants wasn't that bad. Politics! I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an And that brings us to the end of our spooptacular edition of PX3. I would like to thank our $10 tier for making this show as good as it is. Jonathan D. Laser, Andy Paul... Middle-aged Mike and Brad. You want to join them, head on over to seriously.com. if you want to email me. We got a mailbag coming up on our next episode, uh, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Music's been provided by Valesco and Trap Killers. You can follow me everywhere at Justin R. Young. And, of course... You can join our Discord, bit.ly slash jurydiscord. Again, bit.ly slash J-U-R-Y-D-I-S-C-O-R-D. Talk politics 24-7. Get our free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Until the next time I see you, though. A reminder, the politics has three names and some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and I found one the other night that talked about politics, but this is the only show that talks about all three.